Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. The very best of last week's rugby coaching webinars and podcasts, reviewed by host Phil Flewellyn and his special guests. to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Thank you for joining us for Season 2 as we delve back into the world of sports coaching. My guests will be presenting their key learnings from a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application and implementation. As always, I'm delighted to have another two wonderful individuals join me this week. So, gents, if you could introduce yourselves and tell us your current role. Thanks, Phil. My name's Nick Jackson. I am an AGP Sales and Revenue Assistant for the RFU. Uh, formerly a CRC and a grassroots coach as well. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, my name's Tom Bone Hall. I'm the director of rugby at Mad Dog Sport, and I'm also a centre manager at Bristol Bears Academy. Gents, brilliant to have you on. Thank you very much for giving up your time. Uh, we're going to get straight into things just before we do. Um, just a reminder for anyone listening to check out the blurb for links to all the content we discuss and recommendations to other high quality podcasts. So Nick, coming over to you first, what content are you presenting? Thanks Phil. I uh, picked up on a, a new book that came out recently by John Cleese, which was entitled Creativity. And it's uh, a really si- simple uh, read in a sense of it's very short and it's a great insight into creating some ideas and some reflections on creativity and some ideas on creativity uh, and what he does is goes to some examples of when we are creative and how we are creative which I think might be quite useful and one of the areas that he speaks about is the types of creativity that we can have so he refers to a concept called um, the tortoise mind uh, and the hair brain, which is something that he picked up from a guy called Guy Claxton. What that essentially means is that the uh, when we have ideas, sometimes we, we go different ways with it. The hair brain tends to be the more methodical, uh, instant approach to dealing with an idea, or, or when we deal with it, have a, a, a creative insight, we suddenly that hair, the hair brain can kick in and create quite a structured review of that idea. Um, which I could imagine would be, say, you're reflecting on something after a, a Sunday session or something like that, and you instantly want to try and come up with some sort of solution. The other one that he mentions, the tortoise um, mind, he calls it, is the slightly slower approach where we might have an idea and we mull it over and we sit on it and we mull it and we think about it. And then as that idea evolves or that creative spark evolves, it's then how, how does that become into reality? And actually that's when he highlights the point that actually both areas will cross over. So you might have this sort of labored approach to, um, or this tortoise mind approach to creating this, whatever spark you might have had, but the hair brain will come in and we'll just apply a bit of logic to it. So I think when we're talking about creativity with, with sessions and coaching, I think sometimes that can be quite useful because the temptation might be we need an instant fix, which could be the hairbrain kicking in. But then also we might be thinking about, well, how can I solve this long term where the tortoise mind kicks in? And, and then we've also got that check that comes in from the hairbrain side to, to try and give some sort of substance and some reality to, to what we're trying to create. And he speaks well around that. It's quite interesting from his perspective 
and he talks about educational system it's quite relevant i think to some some coaching elements as well he didn't really have a creative thought or the opportunity to be creative until he went to footlights at cambridge he the the educational process he had gone through was because he he was a scientist and then he was going to do law that environment wasn't conducive to him being creative which was just allowing me pause me to reflect on how are we as coaches sometimes we talk about that potentially that learning environment could be I would fuel our biases to use a common phrase uh, and how do we then transmit that onto the players that we're working with or even our other coaches that we're working with to, to impact on that environment that we want to create because a lot of coaches will say we want to create a creative environment well are they are they reflecting that based on their own experiences or are they actually thinking about the best ways of creating that or providing that environment for those for those ideas to surface which was quite interesting um, he then goes on to speak around uh, some of the and it, it is quite themed around writing but there are some similarities there actually he talks around what he calls darlings so sometimes we'll have a nugget of an idea and we think it's a really good idea and he he talks around getting rid of the darlings in in the art in the stories because sometimes you might think it's a good idea or a creative idea but then it's using that network around to assess is that the right thing for us to be doing is that what we should be doing is that still the best creative way of, or idea that we could use and he speaks quite a lot around that and and then again a lot around repetition and a lot around how we allow the ideas to surface and then allow those opportunities to take their natural course um, and it's a really short, it's, it's sort of, a, you can do it in sort of 45 minutes. It was quite a, a useful kind of pickup just to refresh my understanding around creativity because a lot of people speak about creativity. Um, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and it's sort of set my juices off throwing about how I, how am I, where are my ideas coming from? Um, it also got me thinking about reflective practice and how, Again, as I mentioned earlier, do we instantly look for a solution? We do a session, we instantly look for some sort of reaction to it. Well, actually, we're better off maybe just slowing that down a bit, allowing the natural, the sessions to take its course or our natural reflections to take its course and see what comes of that way. So to use that tortoise mind, as he would, he would say. So overall, a really useful bit of resource. Um, as I say, very easy to pick up and, and move through and, and took a lot from it. And I think most coaches would enjoy that. This style, any style of writing, because it's very concise and very clear. Uh, and um, just actually, what, what I'm thinking about on uh, on the second opinion. So he talks, so talking about those killing the darlings, which he also links in the second opinion. And a reflective practice. And I, I'm jumping around a little bit, but the the thought here was he uses four questions when he's seeking a second opinion. And uh, the four questions are, where, where were you bored? So this is imagine someone, this is him reading a, a transcript that he's written or a piece of work. So question one, where were you bored? Where could you not understand what was going on? Where did you not find things credible? And was there anything that you found emotionally confusing? And I wonder how often we reflect on those sorts of questions when we're looking to come up with our coaching practice or our um, 
they're reflecting on the work that we've done and what ideas come from that. So yeah, I, I, I highly recommend it. Um, slightly different to other sort of resources, and yeah, lots and lots of good little takeaways in there for everybody. I love those questions. They are they're superb. Real, just yeah. Pick up. You could you could just pick up and walk into a session, and whoever you're dealing with, however, whatever age, whatever type of person i think they would they would really spark some thoughts and get some real high quality insight back they're they're cool um so uh, yeah loads to unpick in that which is awesome where where do you think creativity falls down in the environments you you see or within within which you work and this kind of two-part question so do do we have too high an expectation of how quickly we can affect things as a coach? Um, and is there a major conformity issue that lots of those creative ideas you talk about may fall down because the traditionalists or the, the conformists will shoot them down if you bring them into an environment and, and want to have a crack at them. So that's, that's a little bit of a, yeah, the two quite big questions, but um, what are your thoughts? Uh, for me, I think a lot of what the coach will deliver is clearly based on their experience and that will ultimately determine how creative the environment is. We, the other thing, of course, um, is the flip side to that is that if you are as a coach curious in how to create those environments, you might try and force, force that too much and, and therefore you end up having, you go the other way and it's too confusing and there isn't that clarity of um to or in clarity around the environment to provide those opportunities because you think well i need to be doing it this way so it's a balance i think of, of understanding what, how you are and what you want to how you and what you want to do or how you want to work to create that environment um in terms of the second part the conformist side, I just, for me, I think there needs to be a degree of bravery around that. And I think very easy. And, and then, the, you know, if anything, the current climate has forced us to think differently. And this is why I think this would be a really useful resource because the conformists will be going, well, I, I can't do what I normally do. So how can I do that differently? How do I need to change my behaviours to do that differently? And that, this, this could, you know, this resource could, could help towards that. And, I would hope that there'd be a pretty big sea change over the last few weeks, months with, with what's been happening. Do you think that's a case of us trying to actually understand what creativity is for each individual? And an open question, Tom, so jump in if, if you like, but I'm in, in my head, I'm trying to work through that, that if I'm planning the sessions as the head coach or the lead or the DOR or whatever that is, I'm going to have a view of creativity within rugby, within any sport. If do I need to do a better job of co-creating that environment and, and call that, you know, athlete centered or holistic or whatever you want to do. Um, but is it my job ultimately to get more people involved in creating what that environment actually looks like? So there is a greater diversity of opportunity for creativity. If that even makes sense as a sentence, I'm not sure, but do you know what I mean? If, if it's just me going, well, this is your 15 minutes to be creative. I don't know how creative that actually is. Whereas if I'm going, 
right, we need to involve the players in, in this discussion and this, this management and creation of the sessions and I need to involve parents or, or other coaches or whatever, uh, you know, does ultimately, does that give us a better opportunity for creativity to be more natural rather than in this little box where all the rest of the time you might be doing predominantly what I say and how I've structured things and then for to 10 or 15 minutes I'm just going to let you run wild and that I'm not sure how common that is but in my head that would seem to be quite a common approach to it yeah um I think that the the challenge if you said to a coach you've got 15 minutes to be creative I'm reflecting on that. My blood pressure has gone up through the roof, and I'm and you meet your, your, your stress is you're gonna. So that yeah, absolutely, that is not creating the right environment to be to be creative. I think that is again, that's absolutely right. The education piece around, well, it's okay. You don't have to be creative all the time, particularly in that 15 minute window. If it is dropped on you in that scenario, well, what are your other, what are your other parts of the environment you can lean on to? To, to support that and to help develop that and that is obviously the, the players that you've got and our parents and, and so on so I think that it's an interesting point and I'd be curious you know, Tom might share like around Bristol but I, I think there's certain cultures have got that right and they allow coaches to, to breathe and, and be that way um, I'd be curious to know what that would look like in those other environments though but on a Sunday morning with a parent they just want to turn up they've got something they want to do they're going to try and deliver it um, and probably not leave much room for their own creativity or any other coach's creativity. Yeah, so for me, I think it's really interesting, going back to that sort of, you know, you've, you've given them 15 minutes to be creative. I think if you were to, to offer that out to players, I think what would often happen is that they're inventive in those 15 minutes, but they're not creative. So creativity, creativity to me is inventiveness with a purpose at the end of it. Um, I think if you tell someone to go and be creative and you only give them a limited amount of time, they try and think as much out of the box as possible and come up with these wacky things that they can do, but there's not necessarily any substance behind it. So it's trying to find a nice balance of inventiveness does lead to creativity if we can find a purpose for what we're doing, but it only becomes creative if we can put it into our day-to-day -day and, and we've got more opportunities than just, oh, we've, we've been given 15 minutes. Um, so from a, a playing perspective, I would look at that as you want to offer players as many possible problems as they can find. Um, where you're not giving them the answers, but you're helping them along the way. That's how they're going to start to be creative because they've got a problem to solve. It's not just go and do something wacky. And it's probably the same for coaches. I wonder if there could be a conversation if we were, we had a good coach support network of here's the outcome that we would like. Well, here's the thing that we, we want to process on. Let's be creative with how we're going to get to that so that we've actually got something that we're working towards. I think that's how we're best creative. I think that's how we create creative environments is we still need something that we're working towards. Um, just interesting for you guys. What what's, does creativity look like for you guys? For me, it's what it's it's for me coming up as a coach creativity looks like trying to understand and have an idea of what reflecting on my set what i've delivered as a coach reflecting and then seeing what ideas come up around how i could do things differently 
So there'll be an issue in my head from, from what I've seen potentially now. And I'm sat in a car weather driving home. That, that's when I would probably, that's when I'm at my most creative, I would suggest. Uh, from a, and then from a visual point of view, so if I was watching it, I'd be looking at what are the creativity would be what are the players and what, what are the players or on those periphery doing around the pitch, on the pitch. Um, to what decisions are they making, how are they making those decisions, that would, that would be a visual trigger for me on, on creativity. Just interestingly, what, what mentioning that the 15 minutes and the thing, one, there is a section on panic. Uh, and uh, basically what he says is, in, in his experience, whenever I'm faced with a difficult problem, I, there's a sense of a pang of fear, which is absolutely what we've just been speaking about. He actually said that's a good quality because what that means is it gives you the natural energy to then create your best work. So I'd be that you know that will affect people in different ways, but I'd be I'd be interested to know what how that resonates with others who hear that um, and whether that is true because it could well be you know it, it could give you that extra bit of energy that you need or that spark from wherever creativity develops. I, I think there's two things in there. Number one, I, I like that. My, I think that would depend slightly on context. I'm, I'm just thinking in terms of me, if someone just dropped a session on me or, oh, can you just take something here? Would I actually default to something I know and that I can do reasonably well because I, d I don't want to get it wrong? Or would you, it, with more planning and more time, would, and uh, look, you're coming in for a guest session, you know maybe do something with the guys they won't have seen before how how i think you might tee that up would probably differentiate how what the outcome of that might be from from kind of in, in my head at the moment i think jumping back to tom's question it's a great question um and i was actually thinking as you guys were talking my brain was just churning through what what does creativity look like so i guess there's maybe creative skills Techniques, so Quade Cooper, Danny Cipriani-esque, passes, sidesteps, kicks, th those types of things. I think then you you know progress that through to um, creative tactical plays, whether that's a backline or a line-out move or something like that, or a, a, a team shape or you know some opportunity to be inventive and do something that's a little bit different. Then into what Nick said and, and you said, Tom, as well, about that problem-solving element. So how are we being creative in finding solutions? And then even to me as a coach in terms of how am I being creative around my planning? Are we just going through the same format in every session and I'm expecting different outcomes or whatever? Or actually, am I, am I trying to do some different things and, and utilise different voices and different people? So and maybe this is this is the challenge with creativity because there is no nice, neat definition. Everything becomes what, what someone sees as creative, someone might see as not. And, and that's, do you know what I mean? I, th I think we just trying to think of the environments I've been in. Did we, did we ever really sit down and talk about how creative we wanted to be? Uh, I don't think we did. And, and I'm not sure we did whether that was an on-field thing or a, or an off-field thing. We we definitely talked about create you know creating problem solvers, but whether we saw them as creative, I'm not sure. So yeah, that that different the, the lack of definition, but also just the lack of um, agreement on what that is. I think is potentially something that moving forward, I would definitely reflect on this conversation and go. I need to sit down with some people and 
they probably need to input and tell me what they think creativity is and how how we can foster that within whatever environment we're going to be in so yeah really really interesting how how would you guys where so let's say what would be the most creative environment you would have seen or been involved in um google from an external perspective was incredibly creative the way they go about setting their goals and setting their challenges um they do a lot of this 10x goal setting the 10x thinking um which is we're going to make the goal so outrageous that by definition we're, we're probably not going to get anywhere near to it but by aiming for it we're still going to achieve something pretty special um so i think the example that Kirk Vallis had down there was we're going to get a car that can drive a thousand or do a thousand miles per gallon. It's, they're never going to hit it, but they're going to be a lot closer to it than most companies. You've really disappointed um, to me they're not going to hit that because that would reduce my fuel flow by an absolute <laughs> load. <laughs> We'd all be saving a fortune. Absolutely. I don't care how much that car is. Yeah, just get it on the market. <laughs> but that, that to me is creative straight away in the way that he's, or the way that Google have phrased the problem. Um, so not just in the way that they're going about trying to create a solution for it, but the way they've actually sat down and thought of the issue is really creative. Um, from a rugby perspective, Northampton Saints, uh, I was lucky enough, I went up there towards the start of this year when they were top of the table, I think. Um, so whether it's the same environment now would be quite interesting, but really creative with using micro teams gamifying everything they were doing so challenges to start off team meetings um there was always fun and jokes on a monday session no matter what happened on the saturday or what happened on game day so really creative with the way that they were going about their week but from a rugby and non-rugby perspective probably those two stand out uh i can't top google i mean he's absolutely done me on google um rugby wise uh, I'll be honest. I, I when I went to see um, some of the some of the teacher days that we did, I did with well, I, I kind of attended in my previous role with with um, Rusty and Fletch. Those were some of the best, most creative environments I've been in, where just that natural ability to be creative came out. Um, other other environments, certainly my daily work with schools back in the day. That you know there were some tertiary schools I can think of where there was through teacher support they were just natural and not natural opportunities to be creative in sessions and an element of you could there was a real opportunity to trust what was happening and, and trust the group because they were they were they were going with you they were creative with you as we went through it so those are probably some of the best environments i've been in but uh yeah i mean anywhere that allows you to just be you and allow you to play in that way or work or train in that way that's that's all we're after really uh, yeah, I agree with that, and I, I do wonder, just mulling over, is it, is it how often actually we say that something's wrong, or that we 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 put a barrier in the way of something? So, would would an environment naturally be creative, but our position as a coach or our position, sometimes our you know behaviours or our personality or whatever, just put blockers and and prevention in the way of that, and maybe it's about finding out what those are and removing them rather than trying to create something that might actually be pretty organic um and i wonder whether that would just be another way of approaching it in terms of what, what could we take away that would allow us to be more creative rather than 
what what can we add in awesome um on that note we will shift it on so uh tom we're going to come to you what uh, what was your content uh, cool. So I listened to um, one of the Loosehead podcasts. Uh, they're currently doing a series called Let's, uh, Let's Talk Coaching, where they're um, just having some conversations with some pro coaches or some very experienced coaches. Uh, and this week they were chatting to Bernard Jackman. It's quite an interesting character. Um, his coach professionally was a pro player and then went on to coach professionally. Um, I think his most recent professional role was at the Dragons as director of rugby. Um, and there's a couple of, I think there's a, a mini series on him at the Dragons, which is well worth a watch. But he's now actually coaching for a club called Bective Rangers, who are the Leinster League One, who are an amateur setup, only train on Tuesdays and Thursdays and play Saturday. So this is where it sort of took my interest. He's got all this experience as a professional coach and he's now trying to put it into the amateur game. Um, loads and loads of information packed into a 40 minute podcast, covered quite a lot of different areas. Um, they looked at player motivation, how to create a positive environment, leadership groups, some off the field skill stuff. Uh, but I just want to start with, Jackman actually had a, a player come up to him during lockdown when rugby had started back up and he said, uh, currently rugby's all I have, which sort of hit home how important our roles as coaches could be and how important it is to create a positive environment, especially in the, in the current climate that we're in. A lot of people are stuck away from home and, and don't necessarily have friends and family around, um, are pretty limited with going to work or potentially not going to work and they haven't got a lot else. So it's it hit home with me how important I my role potentially is, but definitely how important it is for me to create that environment where it's fun, it's engaging, people want to be there, it's not just about winning, which you actually come on to, to talk to quite a lot. Um, Jackman discussed his motivations for coaching and it was all about connections and making memories, which I've heard a lot of coaches say before. And I, I would say it's probably rings. There's a few parallels with my coaching, but he goes on to explain how you can do that rather than just say it. Um, and the first, the first way he said about making memories, just make the environment fun, make everything you do fun. Don't just try and win 10 out of the 11 games actually focus on the other side of the game make training engaging make the off the field stuff engaging make people stay for a drink afterwards try and bring their friends and family along for the ride with them because um, you don't just want to make individual memories you want to make memories as a collective um, he did actually really nicely touch on the fact that he talks about not focusing too much on winning but at the same time, by winning games, you are probably going to make some pretty good memories. So it's a real fine balancing act as a coach, um, which I think a lot of us get wrong. I know I've, I've definitely got that wrong. So I've probably focused far too much on the fun side of things, which if I was going to get it wrong, I'm quite happy that that's where I've got it wrong at the moment. But it has me probably missed some opportunities to create some pretty cool memories along the way as well. Um, then had some good discussions about what a positive and what a fruitful environment looked like. Um, and he started, he started by sort of suggesting that a, a coach or an organization, they need to be so clear in what they're trying to chase and what their goals are and what their motivations are 
and they need to make all of these relevant to the people they're working with, to the environment that they're in, to what the community needs at that time. So from the Dragons perspective, back when he was there, it probably wasn't about trying to win the league, but it was about bringing that community back through, rebuilding the team. I think if, if he and the organisation went straight in and, and on day one, they started talking about, well, we want to win the league, we want to win Europe you're probably not going to get a lot of buy-in from your players. So it's a relevant goal. It's a realistic goal, but it is also something that's challenging to work towards. Um, what I really like, though, is when he went on to talk about who needs to know these goals and who needs to know these visions, he mentioned what a lot of super rugby teams are doing at, at the moment, which is at the very start of the year for these goal and vision sessions and to, um, create creating these goals and visions and then explaining to everyone they're bringing all of the staff in and a lot of the community and it's not just the 45 senior players that they're bringing into these meetings it's the hr staff it's the marketing staff it's the academy managers and the players it's potentially some some of the community that are coming in and i thought it was such a cool way of looking at some stakeholder management stuff rather than just looking at right what do our stakeholders want from us it's actually what do we all share what's in common with all of us how can we use our, our shared vision to drive ourselves forward? And it's just getting everyone on the same page so it's a lot easier to, to push forward and achieve their goals. Um, there was a really good question then asked actually about what about these people that don't want to join him? What about these people that don't want to come along for the ride? And most environments would tend to have them. Um, so they spoke about how to motivate the, the outliers. And there's some good practical examples, the first of which was about theming your season, um, which is a really cool concept. The most famous person at the moment, especially within rugby for theming their season, is probably Scott Robinson over at Crusaders, who themed their first um, winning seven years around Muhammad Ali and his comeback. And uh, Liverpool have used it recently with the All Blacks and trying to create a dominance. Um, but by sharing this narrative and, and by creating stories and themes together, people will naturally want to buy into that they want to feel like they are part of the story going forward they also spoke about individual uh, development plans for bringing these guys in and, and aligning these guys um i think most organizations would tend to use them now but jackman's big thing was focus on their strengths more than anything else so many players get idps that are just focused on well you can't do this very well that, that that's got to be an absolute killer for confidence if you're just repeatedly getting told you need to improve it, you need to improve it. Um, I know when I was playing a lot more, if someone had come up to me and said, Joe, this is what you're really strong at. This is why you ne we need you in the team. Straight away, I'm engaged. I'm sold. I want to be part of that team. I want to work for that coach. Um, so I thought they, they were a couple of really cool practical examples of how you could start getting those, those outliers a little bit more involved. Um, I think a really simple way to look at it is the outliers a lot of the time that they're perceived as having a negative attitude or a negative reaction. The way he sort of looks at things is quite simply be positive to get positive reactions, focus on everything that's good in your environment, um, which I think is so easy to forget sometimes. It sounds so simple, but it's really easy to forget. Um, and then just a, a couple of other cool takeaways from it aren't necessarily related to those two but more come from a couple of podcasts that um, Bernard Jackman listened to over the lockdown 
Um, the first of the first one was from a head of performance working in sport. Um, so in charge of trying to get elite performance out of his players, he was asked if he was 18 again, what would he do? And his answer was he would go and complete a course in public speaking and he'd go and complete a course in sales because he's worked out over 30 years of his job. That's what he does. He's just trying to sell a vision to the players. He's trying to sell um, an idea to the players. It's going to work. And it made me think about coaching that way. You know, we're trying to sell an idea to our players and we're trying to convince them that that's what they want to go along with. Um, and the, the final point, which is a little bit contentious, which is why I sort of want to, to bring it up. It's from a podcast with Damien Hughes, who wrote the Barcelona way and he's done liquid thinking. I think he's done quite a few podcasts recently. He argued that a coach can only improve their team by 10%. Um, and that actually a lot of the time as coaches, we overvalue our role within that setup and we overvalue the amount of influence that we have. He broke it down to quite simply the team with the best players or the coach with the best players tend to win games. Um, so it's quite interesting for me. I, I'd be interested on whether other people agree with that or not before I make my views on that one shared. Uh, I, I guess it depends on the level you're coaching. Um, I think the Barcelona team, you're probably right, but how much value did Pep Guardiola really add to them or, and whoever and then succeed them? But I think... Yeah, I think for me, it just depends on the environment that you, you're in. I think actually what's the what's potential that you look at Saracens, for example, that's a very successful environment. Yes, there's some world class players in there, but they all seem to do it together. It's not necessarily the coaches seem to have as much contribution as the players do. So I probably probably might even say that's a 60 40 split or even, you know, 80 20 split, maybe between players and coaches but yeah I think for me it just depends on the environment that, that, that they're working in in the context yeah I mean it's a good question um are you talking about just as a collective because if I said with a squad of 30 I can improve each of those 30 individuals by 10 percent that's a pretty huge return if I look at it that way, if I just said, oh, I can only improve the collective group by 10%, it seems far less. Do you know what I mean? So whether I'm looking at the big, the big, is there the same outcome, but I'm looking at the big picture or the, the smaller picture, I'd be pretty happy with a 10% return for most of the players I work with. I'm not, I'm not sure that, you know, when you're doing twice a week and a, and a weekend, how much chance have you actually got to, to influence some people and change them and develop them? So maybe, maybe that's true. Um, I guess it also depends on just just his context and his definition of what that is. Like if if the conversation I have with a player sparks an idea, and they're then curious and they run with that and they develop that, and that's a forty percent improvement for them. Is that can I claim that forty percent, or is that them doing it? But it's because it's come from a one percent conversation with me. Like I, I I don't I don't know how you'd even get into measuring what your output is in that sense so it, it's a it's a nice question but i'm i'm not sure it's real if that makes sense so you, you, you can't measure it so it, it's also a dangerous area it's a dangerous for me a dangerous area for coaches to get stuck in because you then start making it about you 
Yeah. And you then start, you're then conscious of, well, am I, I missed a 10%, if that makes sense. Um, and I, and, that, and that's a dangerous place to be, I think, because actually that's not helping get what we want to get out of the athletes that we're working with, in my opinion. I mean, there's a, there's a really good argument to say it's all 100% of the player because the player is the player and they're the only person that can deal with anything. So it, you you can only affect yourself to 100%. I, I, you, there's a really good argument to say you, you literally have no effect on anybody else. But I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, depends what you define by effect, I guess. What why, what were your thoughts? What, what? So I uh, agree with Nick's first thought straight away. It completely depend, depends on the environment that you're in. Um, which, I, which is why I liked the question because I, I thought if that went to the wider coaching community there would be a thousand different answers based on what, what environment you're coaching most um, I'm not sure I agree with it I think I completely understand your point Phil of how do you measure that um, you bang on their scope to say if you improve every single player by 10% you've done incredibly well I also think if you were to look at some professional you're saying that Rob Baxter's only had a 10% improvement rate at Exeter over his 20 odd years that he's been there um, whereas maybe if you do go into a team like Barcelona who have been so consistently at the top for such a long time and maybe the All Blacks for a, for a rugby example maybe you can only improve them by 10% but that's because they're so unbelievably good already I just thought it, it, yeah it was interesting to me to get an idea of what different coaches from different environments would think about that one? I think I think the Rob Baxter example is great because he's bringing in Stuart Hogg more than a ten percent improvement for Exeter probably. So has Baxter improved the squad by more than ten percent? Yeah, you, you could again you could probably make a good argument to say he has. Um, so it, it like, yeah, what, what is your actual output as a DOR or as a coach? Or I, I think that's that that's a really good. I love the question. I hate the question in, in kind of the same, the same amount. I think it sparked some good thoughts, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not convinced it's something we, we need to get into worrying about. I, I think even in terms of, and I've definitely thought this before in training. Yes. I think I could probably give you a, a better percentage of how much I could influence someone in a game. Pff, I don't think you've got any chance. Like, like your actual ability on a touchline when, and this, this is what, cracks me up I think in terms of even at community level coaches ranting and raving and screaming and shouting on a touchline or, or guys just putting messages on constantly you know through the physios or the water boys or whoever it might be is that really making a difference I, I'm just and I I mean I'll spend most Saturdays thinking that like if I if I ask them a question or I get put some information on do they really care? Is it something they genuinely haven't thought of already? Maybe I just need to ask more questions and get the, the medics to listen to what they're saying and feed that back so I understand them better. Because if I don't trust them to go out there without my input, like surely that's a failure. And I think that that's that's something. I, yeah, I'd 100% agree with him. You can't you can't affect a game. You, you might make subs and that type of stuff, which has an impact, but I, I don't think you could actually improve performance mid-performance. Um, but again, it, you probably get a lot of different answers to that. So we'll see. We'll see what Can happens. I, Phil, just a quick question, just a, another question. How is that? Have you kind of sat back and reflected on your coaching, Tom, to work out roughly where you think your impact is? 
Yeah, that, that was the first thing it made me think of was sit back and go over, over the years, it was four years within the same company. Have I had more than a 10% increase? Um, or have I had less than a 10% increase? I actually think that the, the most of the boys that I deal with are between that 16 to 18 age, which are such formative years in terms of them becoming young men, going on to what they want to achieve. So from a performance perspective, they're naturally going to be developing at that age anyway. So maybe I have only had 10% in terms of performance, but in terms of their life, in terms of creating ripples for their future, I'd like to think that I've had far more than a 10% increase in, in where they might get to and the opportunities that might arise for them. I think you make a great point there around just the age. If I walk into a, a club and I've, I've got a 35-year-old tight head, am I going to improve them by 10%? Probably not a 16, 16 year old kid, 15 year old kid, you know, a child, someone a lot younger. Yeah, again, you could make a really good argument. You're going to do way more than 10% in, in just in terms of their whole life, which I think is, is awesome. So, yeah, again, context would be massive on that, I think. I'm going to jump back if we can. So, interesting, you mentioned around. The, the kind of the cultural piece and, and how people pick that up and, and run with it and, and move it forward and stuff. And I'm, I've just, I've, I've actually Googled, I'm not going to make myself try and sound clever here. I've Googled the model about just around the innovators, early adopters, early majority, late majority, and then the laggards as they call it, which I think is really applicable. It's a sales thing, obviously, but actually in, in a cultural development sense, when you're trying to change culture, I think it's really interesting how applicable it is and actually what your guys' thoughts are on what you do with the the kind of the late majority or the laggards because you mentioned, Tom, you know, are they disruptive? Are they the people that we spend too much time being concerned with? Actually, do we need to put more effort and energy into the the group that are getting it and that do want to run with it? And make that group bigger and bigger and bigger and so energetic that everyone has to then keep up? Or are we kind of splitting our energy and our time between, well, these guys are on board, so that's great, but now I'm going to have to spend a load of time trying to convince what could be a reasonable size number of people just to edge their way a little bit further forward? And, and what maybe strategies you guys would have in your environments of how you would not necessarily speed up that process, but how you would deal with those kind of different groups of people. I've, I've, I've found a lot of my environments are actually giving more power to the players to try and lead this development and lead these sort of changes. That's huge. A lot of that, especially, especially as, um, teenagers, early adults, they're bored of hearing adults speak about how things should be. So if I can just get a few of those early guys on boards, which would probably be you know, your captains or your leadership group or people that buy in a little bit easier, well, actually, I can hand it over to them. I can use them to to edit my ideas or my thoughts of what the environment and the culture should look like um, and get their input in it because at the end of the day, it's their environment, it's not mine. Um, but I think using them... I, I, so that, challenge that, Mitch, I'm going to jump in and I, I yeah. don't cut across people I have, so apologies. It's really interesting. Is it not a collective... And, and I've got that. If uh, the coaching discourse podcast, we talked about this. Um, 
is is on leadership and culture and who owns culture if you're part of the environment do you not have an equal share in the culture so it's not it's not just saying it's the players environment i think that's it's a really selfless thing to say but i also i'm not convinced it's true so and that's and this has been bugging me for ages so i, I apologies again but i i just wanted to see what your thoughts were on that is it a collective environment there might be more of them than you but should should you still have a place within creating what you're creating in that culture it was funny you said that because as soon as it came out of my mouth my head all automatically went to is it just their environment or is it a shared environment the way i would instantly reflect on it is it's an environment that probably needs to suit them more than it suits me because their development at the moment is probably more important but you're yeah you're exactly right with it is shared it does need to come from all of us and actually if we go back to that sort of stakeholder management piece and the wider communities are not just the players and the coaches but actually so for me being within a school or within um bristol where there's a lot of different stakeholders and sponsors and stuff like that it's actually we're all responsible for that environment um some of us might have more say than others and actually some people not being on board might not matter but yeah you are right to challenge that we we are all responsible for the environment it is all of our environment i love that answer though it's, yeah it's got to suit them probably more than it's got to suit me i think is is absolutely bang on as well so yeah sorry i you, you crack on with your other answer now I, i've disrupted you uh yeah, it was just more about getting players to so, so those um, those late changes, the guys that that the laggards that are um, slightly behind. I think have they got someone they can relate to who's trying to help them through? Can they relate to the coach? Can they not? Can they relate to their peers? And there are certain groups that are actually all very similar people within that that, that are the laggards that are, that are staying behind slightly. Um, but I do think coming back to it, I think getting their peers to help the development and drive the culture and the environment. I think that's huge. The other, the other thing for me around that would be around motivation. So similar to you, what, but, but from my perspective, motivation. So what, if they're motivated by success and they see this change and they see that it's actually leading to success and it alters their mindset, then they, they may well follow you that way. If the motivation is that they, they that that's not what they want, then they stay where they are and they'll find their level of rugby and, and that's that's fine but i'd be really curious if we could really identify what the motivations when they enhance that so they could come with us that would be the area i would focus on do you think that i'm taking that point more generally nick do you think that's maybe been an issue that covid and the kind of the return to play protocols and this stuff has challenged is actually maybe a lack of understanding of what our players motivations are and, and I see a lot of discussion on social media around, uh, you know, we're, we're going to lose players to get the games in real trouble because people only play because they can smash people and they can, you know, do, do scrums and stuff, which that, that might be true. But actually, is that, is that their perception of why someone else plays? I, I, also, think, I, think it's, it, I also think that's all right. If that's what their perception is of the game, that's absolutely fine. And, that, and the game can accommodate that. You know, the game can accommodate that. And it can also accommodate people who've got a different view on that. Um, I mean, that would be my, my view on it. I think 
I would, I'd be curious to know how many coaches have, in, have, have inquired about, I mean, I've had lots of conversations like we're having on Zoom this evening, how, how many conversations they've had with their players to understand that, particularly initially with a, how Bernard Jackman did that with his group, Tuesday, you know, the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday crowd, how, that, how he got under, under the skin and, and found out their motivations that way and, that, and how then that's impacted his coaching and their progress. But, um, yeah, I, I do think there's probably a, a stereotypical view of, and probably too, you know, there's, there's the, the, the guys that we're talking about and then there's the, that want to turn up, have a bit of a dust up on a Saturday, whatever, have play the rugby that they like to play. And then there's the other group. I think we stereotype it. I think there is a, there is a middle bit um, that we could get to. Um, but again, it's just how we inquiring about how we're finding out that information to get to that point. I also wonder the, the fact we've not had to deal with this before. Do, do we know? Do we, we, people have always turned up because there's been a game. There's never actually been a period other than out of season where there hasn't been a game. So how do we know that, that they might have thought that was their motivation at the time? They might be absolutely loving this because they, they're not battered and they just get a chance to get better. And, and I mean, social media is terrible as a medium for asking those questions, but I, I do think it's a really, it's something I've thought on loads just around how, how much would any coach really sit down and understand what the specific motivations of a player are and how they might change across the season and through something like this. And, and are people actually doing that? I don't, I really don't know. Just um, quickly, a really cool practical example, which, I've definitely stolen from someone that I coach with, but uh, at the start of the season, he asked all his players to just write a, a one-page autobiography, a little bit about their life, but also what motivates them. Instantly, within you know what one reads, you start you're starting to get some ideas of well, this guy reacts well to this sort of conversation, or you know he's motivated by this, but he's then also got the backstory. I just thought that was a really cool idea that you brought to the table, something that I've, I've started to put into my coaching is helping me massively that on day one, I've suddenly got all this insight into my players and their motivations. I love that. I think that's a really nice idea. And as you say, just, just yeah, pretty, pretty straightforward, pretty easy. It's not, it's not a huge amount of work for a player, that is it? So that's a, that's a really I'd be curious. I'd, I'd be really interested to know if they gave that piece of paper back to the player at the end of the season, how, how much it spoke to them whether it had changed at all across as they'd gone through the journey of that nine month season, 10 month season, whether that they'd write the same thing again. So I'm hoping to find that out now because I, I did it last year with the year 12s that we had coming through. And this year as year 13s, I've asked them to do it again. Um, and I'm in the process of taking them back in now. So I'm uh, same as you, Nick, I'm really curious to see what they come back with and, and what changes are in there. We're looking forward to reading them. Love that. Great stuff, guys. Uh, I'm slightly conscious of time, so um, I'm going to move it on and ask you both for your recommendations. Um, what have you picked up that other people might be interested in? Nick, we'll come to you first. Yeah, sure. Sorry. Um, my, mine is the, the new Kirsty Gallagher Strip Back podcast. Uh, her, one of her guests is Myra Toje kind of a, a fascinating guy in the game. Um, looking forward to listening to that and understanding more about him and, and the wider 
view he takes on rugby in terms of it not being his sole existence and, and his, what other areas he's, he looks at and how he looks to expand himself as a, as a human being as much as a player. So that's my recommendation or my follow-up. Beautiful. Well, yeah, look forward to listening to that one. Tom, what, uh, what are you saying? Uh, yeah, a couple of things for me. I think I really enjoyed the Lutep podcast. I haven't listened to any of their um, the rest of their series on this desktop coaching, so I'm going to go back and listen to a few of them. Um, they've got Pat Lamb on an episode who's currently on my Mount Rushmore of coaches as a as a Bristolian. So um, I've been listening to that, and then I also really want to I want to understand Damien Hughes's mindset behind this ten percent. So I'm probably going to go and listen to a few of his podcasts and touch and see if I can get uh, my hands on the Barcelona way. Read through that. Beautiful, great stuff. There's a couple from me. So uh, shout out to Mark Hawks, who put up uh, a podcast called The Winning Mentality, which was Steve Black. So that was kind of one of his follow-up tweets to the the discussion around Johnny Wilkinson. Listen to that in the car today. And like Blackie's incredible. Just the way he speaks is is phenomenal. But it's it's a really interesting insight into just... Yeah, just him as a person and, and the kind of the stuff he's done within business and sport and, and a lot of that type of stuff around mentality. Um, and then I followed that up with one. I've, it's been on my list for ages called 80% Mental. Um, and episode one is is ask, or kind of answering the question of what is psychology anyway? Um, and that was that was really, really interesting just around what is a sports psychologist? What is psychology? Um, how is it applicable? How should we go about doing it? And, and it's something that... I think the psychological element of the game is is just so crucial. It's in everything we do, but maybe we don't pay enough attention to it at times. Whereas their certainly their argument, which actually ties in with Damien's question, I guess, is um, they would argue, and, and certainly Blackie from his perspective would argue that's where you can make huge, like huge gains with players. Maybe the physical and the technical and the tactical stuff is ten percent. I think their argument would be, you know, is is almost exponential if you if you look at the psychological elements. So, um, yeah, they were really good. They were they were worth uh, worth checking out. So, great stuff, gents. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to round up the roundup. So we hope you find it useful. Thank you to my two guests for their brilliant insight. Uh, absolutely love this. It's been uh, awesome to just talk through the the various things and the practicalities of that. Uh, as always, links to the content discussed are available in the blurb on the Rugby Coach Weekly website. Please subscribe, like, and share. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Uh, wish you all the best and go well. Bye.